0: The media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story.
1: We've seen countless absurd policies and projects underway in the United States, and indeed many democracies around the world but perhaps none is more insidious than the destruction of our energy grid by trying to power it with so-called renewable energy. Today, I'm joined by two people. First, my master of physics daughter, Mary Jean Harris, who will be my co-host. We'll also be joined by a special expert guest who we will introduce in a minute. But first, Mary Jean, do you think that plans to run whole nations on renewable energy make sense?
2: Definitely not. Wind, solar, and other so-called renewable energy sources can't compete with oil and natural gas for providing energy to a flourishing society. I don't think anyone wants to go back to the dark ages, but that seems to be where we're heading.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, they're really shooting themselves in the foot on this. I mean, not only will it impoverish citizens who need reliable energy the most, but everyone in the country with gas and oil prices soaring, blackouts, and unreliable supply chains.
2: Yes, you think that they would realize that this affects everyone, including the bureaucrats who are making these plans.
1: Yeah, even they won't be spared. No one will be spared from the consequences of these policies. Our mm-hmm. guest today will touch upon all of this and more. So, Mary Jean, let's get started. Sounds good. Okay. Our guest today is Dr. Paul Prentice. Dr. Prentice was the chief macroeconomist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture under President Reagan. You know, Mary, Mary Jean, I should just tell you quickly, uh, Lori and I went out, my wife's Laurie. we went out to greet. President Reagan when he came to Ottawa. We both had a big sign that said, yeah. Friends in Freedom. <laughs> of course, the media ignored us. They only filmed the, the people who were actually against Reagan. But we saw his outline, you know, we could see it through the car window. So I <laughs> had some association. Uh Dr. Prentice has also mm-hmm. served as a visiting scholar at the U.S. Department of Treasury. He earned his BA in mathematics and a PhD in agricultural economics from the University of Connecticut. Since leaving the federal government in 1985, Paul founded five businesses. He was economic advisor to the Herman Cain 2012 presidential campaign and an economic surrogate for the Donald J. Trump 2016 presidential campaign. Dr. Prentice is a retired professor of economics and business at Colorado Technical University and a retired fellow of the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Paul currently serves as Associate Scholar at the Ludwig von Mises Institute, Senior Fellow at the Independence Institute, and Board Advisors of the Bastia Society of Colorado Springs. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Prentice.
3: Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. Okay. Mary.
1: Mary Jean, yeah. <laughs> okay, Mary Jean, you can start the questions. You're my new host, co-host. Right,
2: sounds good. So, we're first going to talk uh, touch on lockdowns a bit, which fortunately, aren't a huge problem anymore, but they had a huge effect on us in the last two years. So from your studies, what have been the impacts of lockdowns in Colorado? Uh, and was this comparable to the rest of the US?
3: Up to sure, Mary Jean, uh, even though lockdowns have ended, they're still on the table. So I think the study is still very relevant because our masters, our betters, our policymakers, um, are keeping that as an option for the future. So we'll see if they do this again. Um, What we found, we did a study with the Independence Institute, and we looked at the costs and benefits of of this lockdown in Colorado. And uh, we found the costs were just extreme. And shockingly, the benefits were close to zero. And I like to say it takes a special kind of stupid to invent an economic policy that is all costs and no benefits. But that's what happened. Wow,
1: that's incredible. Now, do you think any of the lockdown and COVID measures were actually warranted? It sounds obvious that they did more harm than good.
3: Uh, No, they were not not warranted. Um, And it's easy in hindsight, but even, even before the lockdowns really started rolling, a lot of economists were saying, this is a bad idea. This is not the way we should be running an economy. And a lot of epidemiologists were saying, this is a bad idea. This will not work. Uh, so it, it's just a, an absolute horrifying situation we put ourselves into, uh, and I would argue purposefully, by people who have a higher agenda than just uh, what we think is going on. Um, I, you know, I, I, I actually, in Colorado, we, we had two people that were shot in the head and murdered in in a small rural town. And they were, uh, they were written up as died of COVID (laughs) because they had COVID (laughs) uh, uh,
2: diagnosis.
3: (laughs) And I'm thinking, I think, how about Florida, right? Here's one from Florida, maybe man eaten by shark dies from COVID. The whole thing was so overhyped. And and unnecessary and ultimately, as we'll discuss, uh, damaging to to the economy, to the human beings inside the economy, to our political freedoms, uh, at zero benefit health wise.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I'll just ex- expand on that from my understanding. A professor Jaffe, J O F F E, who's an epidemiologist, actually at the University of Alberta. He somehow monetized the health impact of the lockdowns, and he showed that the lockdowns were far more damaging, even from a health perspective, than from a, um, you know, than, than the amount of good that it did. So, I mean, it's not just finance, it's also the health was much worse.
3: Oh, absolutely. We uh, we actually discovered that our governor in Colorado, we can say with certainty, has blood on his hands from the increased suicides, the increased deaths, the increased uh, despair and depression. That went around and then we haven't even finished with those costs because it'll be decades before we see the final cost of foregone health care of, of people who did not get screened for cancer or heart problems of, uh, of students left behind in education systems. It, the, the damage is just goes on and on. Yeah. So we can hope and pray that, that we get better leadership in the future and that people wake up and just will never comply with this again.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I think early in the pandemic, people were warning about this. You know, I sent letters to our local university, for example, and they just simply ignored me. I mean, why would they not pay attention to these secondary health hazards?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've discovered after decades and decades of working in what I call it, the realm of free market economics and and liberty oriented politics that. As far as the left is concerned, the issue is never the issue. Whatever mm. they say, they care about the environment, uh, healthcare, lockdown, women's rights, whatever. No, those are simply smokescreens in order to disguise the real issue, which to them is to simply keep seizing and centralizing totalitarian power and control. Mm. That's that is the only possible explanation, because as yeah. you say, uh, respected people in many fields were saying from the very beginning. This is not going to work. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. And they did yeah. it anyway. And they still, they still, they're still pushing things on us.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Even conservatives in Canada were pushing it on us too. And um, at that time in Alberta, for example, they had a conservative government and yet they charged ahead with it and they ignored a friend of mine in Alberta was actually sending the premier all sorts of things showing that the lockdowns were a terrible mistake. And they did it anyway, you know. Like it didn't seem to matter what the arguments were. I guess, I guess, in the case of the conservatives, they were more simply frightened of politically correct media. I guess.
3: Well, that the, there certainly is a lot of uh, weak and cowardly people on our side here in America, probably up there as well. Um, so there's two kinds of people. I spoke of the absolute evil of the leaders and, and ruling class of the left who design these things. But the what uh, I think it was Lenin called useful idiots, of the other people that simply go along with it. So we yeah. have too, way too many useful idiots disguised as conservatives. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, and so continuing on with the economy, um, why do you think it was important to keep the economy running during the COVID pandemic, in particular? Uh,
3: well, the economy is 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 the, the the organic system within which we feed ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 can't have an economy without production. You can't consume without producing something, and you can't just print money to pretend that you have goods and services. We're paying the price for that right now. Uh, so it's critical to keep the economy running because the economy is us. It, it's our lives, our people, our hopes and dreams. I I think of the an entrepreneurial couple that I interviewed, a, a minority couple, a, a Hispanic and Asian that had started a business and it just got crushed during the lockdown, they lost all their money, they lost their dreams. It's just, you know, you can multiply that by, in Colorado, 40,000 lost businesses and uh, nationwide, hundreds of thousands, um, the damage. And that's just what we can measure from the immediate impact, you know, think about Mm -hmm. the lingering and secondary and tertiary impacts that have yet to show up.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, we've had a big drop in donations during the pandemic, because of course, a lot of people just don't have the disposable money they had before. But also, I was thinking, you know, people are running restaurants where they have to pay rent, you know, they have to pay for storing whatever they're not using. Uh, They have staff. I mean, these people must have been really creamed when they were told they had to close down or restrict the number of people in their restaurant to half the number or put up, you know, these plexiglass barriers. I mean, people like that must have been creamed.
3: Yeah, that's uh, the bu- the brunt of the of the economic damage from the lockdown in Colorado was borne by small to mid-sized businesses, a lot of minority employment. Um, the couple I just spoke of, that was a small restaurant they had opened and they had just ironically been very successful and expanded it just before they got locked down. So they had sunk oh. everything into it. They had mortgaged their house and moved into an apartment. Uh, mm-hmm. They were taking care of special needs kids. They had family um, employed in the business and a lot of entry-level workers and, and 35 actually in total and they all lost everything
1: oh wow and you know media seem to hide this from us i mean you you wouldn't know just walking around our neighborhood for example of the number of homes and families who are really in distress
3: yeah it's uh it's quite shocking and and Again, I'll I'll speak to the the policymakers who make this big show of caring for poor and minorities, but their actions completely betray that because everything, almost everything they do is destructive of those people.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that leads to another question on that same topic. And I hope you don't mind if I ask you, what do you think is the major driver of the lockdowns? I mean, you say it's partly the left looking for control and the conservatives being frightened of wokeness.
3: Tom, to me, that is the main driver. Actually, you have to go to, to the highest level possible and, and look at forces and people involved in the World Economic Forum and, and a lot of other places, uh, World Health Organization. It, it's much more than just local policy. It's in what I call the globalist techno-fascists, Kind <laughs> of take over everything. Yeah. So, I'm not a conspiracy theorist because it's real. It's not a conspiracy if it's real. They're on record as saying this. This is what they want to do. This was their intent all along.
1: Yeah, you might have heard the expression that the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth is about six months.
3: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a matter of time. <laughs> That's a good I one.
1: have to attribute that to Russell Brandt, the British commentator. You know, he's a comedian. He also talks about all these things. So American- right, right.
3: The, uh, the Scottish brogue. I've heard, yeah. I've heard
1: him. <laughs> so, Mary Jean, you go ahead.
2: Uh, I was just saying the uh, the lockdowns are even though there's not really much in the way of COVID lockdowns. So, who knows how long that'll last? Uh, climate lockdowns are, of course, something else that'll really uh, harm our society if we're forced to um, not do our the, our regular activities based on so-called like climate change that we're causing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, just before we get onto that, though, can we talk one more question here? You know, have Colorado and the rest of the U.S., have they recovered from the shutdown? Or are there still outlying damages that we're seeing? And, th- and you were suggesting those may actually not be visible for quite a while.
3: Right. We can never recover. Uh, even, even though some of the uh, GDP type numbers have shown growth, you've lost an entire year of production. You'll Mm -hmm. never make that up. You can't make it up. (laughs) So the fact that we've come back to growth rates that are positive, temporarily at least, uh, is by no means means that we've made it up. And the Mm -hmm. fact that we've got employment is no means makes up for all those millions of lost jobs before. And just on a personal level, if you were working and then all of a sudden you didn't work for a year, you've lost a year of advancement, a lost a year of, of increased skills, applications, all kinds of things. It just mm-hmm. the, the compound effects of of this are the what uh, Frederick Bastiat called the unseen. We mm-hmm. we can't really see that, but we can analyze it and determine that it's huge. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mary Jean, why don't you go ahead with that idea of climate lockdown? That's kind of interesting. I don't know if listeners actually know what you mean.
2: Yeah. So because of the Uh, climate change policies that government wants to enact, uh, we're going to be prevented from traveling, using energy. And by switching over to the wind and solar power, we're essentially preventing our, our our economy and even just regular uh, people living their lives normally. So Mm -hmm. even if it's not a specific lockdown, we're preventing people from using the power and, Traveling,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's interesting that Oxford in England, that city, has now passed their regulations for the first, the world's first climate lockdown. They're actually dividing the city. It's not a very big city. I think it's only about fifty thousand people, and they've divided it up into six or seven districts. And you only are allowed to go from one to another a certain number of times by car. And they actually have passes which detect your license plate. I guess it must be some sort of a optical device. And I guess you'd be fined if you went from one to the other. I mean, you know, Paul. Yeah, you- actually,
2: in in. In Canada they are talking about these 15 minute neighborhoods where you're basically prevented from going outside of your 15 minute zone a certain number of times. I'm not sure exactly how it'll work but huh? it's an idea here too. They haven't introduced that yet but they pl- they want to.
1: Yeah, Paul, are you seeing a similar move in the United States towards these restrictions of travel?
3: Um, there there are plans for that. Uh right now that that I think Mary Jean has it right, and, and you as well, that the the COVID lockdown was simply a dry run for something much deeper and much more powerful, which will be under the, the guise of climate change. That'll be their excuse for seizing seizing more and increasing totalitarian control. And we have to look for one more thing even more beyond that, which is the development of uh, central bank digital currencies. And so we're gonna head towards one world government run by, by, uh, by these, these globalist techno-fascists uh, with one world central bank, one world currency, one world military and police force. And that's what they're trying to do. And so the COVID wow. lockdown was a dry run. They have plans for a climate lockdown and much more plans beyond that. Uh, We'll be enjoying our our grasshoppers pretty soon, I think, for for (laughs) breakfast.
1: (laughs) So it sounds like maybe the COVID lockdowns in some people's minds at the top of the WEF, they may have been using it as a pilot study, a pilot project to see if they could employ this and people would obey. You think that might be part of the reasons for the COVID lockdown?
3: There's, there's no question. It was a dry run. And they wanted to see how far they could push the envelope. And they found they could push it pretty darn far, that most people would comply under the most irrational circumstances. Uh-huh. And so it was simply setting the stage for the next level, which as Mary Jean is talking about, some sort of climate emergency lockdown, and then eventually some sort of currency crisis that'll push everything towards this, their dream of one world government. And so it's up to us to stop them.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, something that strikes me as strange, and maybe I'm being naive, but when I was growing up, I always considered the left as tolerant of alternative points of view and tolerant of different lifestyles and all that sort of thing. Now I find them the, the most fascist, as you say. I mean, what's happened? Have the, were the left always this way and I just didn't see it? Or are they now much worse than they used to be?
3: Uh, the left has always been the left. Go back to Marx, and, and you realize that this was a 100-year, 100 150-year march through Western civilization, through our institutions, breaking down our families, breaking down our educational systems, breaking down our moral base. So it's, it's, it's very, very deliberate.
1: Mm. And, and I guess that is really what's driving so many things that we think are driven by health or driven by climate change concerns. It's all about control.
3: Yes, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always seizing and centralizing control, power, and authority to the left.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, you go ahead, Mary Jean.
2: Um, yeah, so we've uh, we've talked to quite a bit about the the lockdowns. Do you see the um, kind of future lockdowns uh, coming in the foreseeable future, or is this something that is uh, happening that you think might happen? kind of farther down the
3: road well at least in colorado we can tell it has not passed because the governor has insisted on keeping his emergency authority to do this again if he wants oh, <laughs> and wow. even though uh, president biden is going to allegedly call off the precise COVID emergency in the u.s in may sometime so in april it's an emergency but in may it won't be who knows how these people, how <laughs> these people be- think we are going to keep know. on the books and, and the regulatory system and st- infrastructure they've put into place, uh, the entire legal system for doing it again for any reason they want, anytime they want, anytime they think they can get away with it, that we, the population, will comply and allow them to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, if it's driven by health, how do they know three months in advance that the emergency is going to be over?
3: <laughs> That's my point. Yes.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a real plan, not, not a reaction to any real problem.
3: <laughs> right. But they keep the authority to reinstitute the emergency measures anytime they want. That's my point.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, in Canada, they just basically override override the Charter of Rights, you know. And um, so so it sounds like these protesters... <clears throat> which we see occasionally still in Ottawa. Cause you know, we had the big convoy here a year ago. Love they're it. right. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're right. You know, i just tell you, Mary Jean, what did you think of the convoy?
2: I think it was really amazing how they got so many people out there and, and doing that, but uh, the media just smeared it entirely and misrepresented everyone. Like, I mean, I didn't go out cause it was in Ottawa. Right. So that's where, where we live. Um it, I went out there just once, and you know everyone was super friendly. It was a really great experience to go there, actually, just to see so many people dedicated to freedom. But um, yeah, the media just totally smeared it and acted as if that we were they were terrorists and
3: and mm-hmm. everything. We yeah, face yeah. the same thing here. So anybody that's that is what we call non-compliant with almost any of these authoritarian measures is is labeled a domestic terrorist and. Mm-hmm. Um, So the FBI has been actually rounding up people, including a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago. So,
1: Oh, is that right? Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting. Another family member and I went to the Central Depot at the Baseball Diamond where the convoy people were organizing and getting their food and things. And it was very friendly and very peaceful. They even invited us into the tent, uh, you know, where we could see the truckers and everything else. You know, an hour after we left that, it was invaded by a SWAT team with, you know, automatic weapons. They had snipers on the roof of the nearby hotel saying this was a dangerous gathering. And oh, my goodness, they had to bring in, you know, full force of the law. But we were there only just before the SWAT team got there. And it was a peaceful bunch of people who were just simply talking about freedom. I mean, yeah. and yet you never know that by the media.
3: <laughs> no, you wouldn't. And thank God we do have alternative media, such as your podcast and others speaking yeah. up against it. And we'll see how far how much inroads we can make into the general public's consciousness. I, I am heartened that many people are waking up to the terror that's coming their way. Um, and yeah. I don't mean woke. I mean, wakening up.
1: <laughs> yeah. to, uh, well, you know, Paul, a, I should tell happened. you and I tell you in our listening audience, there's a rap star by the name of Tom McDonald. He comes from Vancouver. He's now in living in California. Anyway, he put out a video called Brainwashed. And he said much of what we're saying in today's uh, interview. And the interesting thing is he's had 17 million views. Ah, and, and, like tens, and he has 64,000 comments. And this is mostly from young people saying, yeah, he's right. You know, because he's saying things like, don't defund police, defund the media who lie through their teeth. You know, so I mean, it's rap. Uh, so you know, you might find it a little obnoxious, this guy with tattoos on his face, even on his body. <laughs> but the fact is, I think that there's a groundswell of young people who are saying this is totally crazy. Cause we're seeing young people now defying their parents and not getting the injection. I mean, yes, you, that's our hope. Do you, yeah. Do you see in the United States, is there a Obviously, with Tom McDonald, there is. But do you think that some young people are waking up?
3: Oh, yes. Yes. Quite a few. Whether it's too little, too late. Well, time will tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we do have a history in in America, at least, of of getting on the right side eventually of most things and fighting for our freedoms. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, we got to have a break now. And after the break, we're going to get back to the whole issue of energy reforms and talking about the Biden administration's approach to the energy transition. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break.
0: You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold, too? customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix Rx, the original iodine based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code outloud for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix Rx.
1: For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe. yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America Climate Plan. A plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our
0: nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com.
1: Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Outloud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Well, we're back with Dr. Paul Prentice. He was the chief macroeconomist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture under President Reagan. And we're talking about all sorts of interesting things. The Pfizer vaccines, you know, the. uh, So, Paul, tell me, some of the opposition to the um, to the vaccines, it it has been seen by many people. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Uh, Sure, that there is a whole lot of what we call noncompliance going on. At least in America, with respect to vaccines, vaccine mandates, vaccine quote requests unquote, <laughs> um, and particularly among among uh, uh, younger people, that they they are seeing through this, and they do have access to alternative media, which is unlike perhaps Tom, you and I, who are grew up with, with mainstream media. Mary Jean knows more of this, but there's, there's a lot of now of alternative media outlets that are discovering and uncovering the truth behind what's going on. Um, One of them is an organization called Project Veritas, which does surreptitious interviews with people. And they just recently published a one where they caught a Pfizer executive on camera as admitting Yeah, admitting that the that they were increasing gain of function research on the virus in order to sell more vaccines for the different variants that they themselves were creating—just mm. horrifying. Wow.
1: Yeah, we'll include a link to that because I saw it actually for the first time a couple of days ago, and uh, man, <laughs> the guy's sort of boasting about it, you know. So we'll include a
3: link to that. It's wild. But,
1: and so how many? How many views did you say it was getting?
3: Uh, what what I had read that it had 20 million views before it was taken down um, from some of the major platforms, but they're still it's still available on a lot of the alternative media sites.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So. So, yeah. Mary Jean, why don't you start us off on some energy reform issues?
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, what are some of the consequences for American citizens of Biden's administration's energy transition plans and limits on energy operations. So trying to reduce oil and get natural gas and moving towards wind, solar and other renewables.
3: Sure. Um, right now we're feeling the early stages of, of their plans, uh, which, which they implemented by, by really sh- reducing, shutting down or cutting off um, hydrocarbon exploration and development and processing refining here in America. And that's caused gas prices to to more than double in just two years, gasoline prices and uh, natural gas prices that people use to heat their homes and run their stoves, at least for now, um, have doubled or tripled in some places. And and in many places, including New England states closer to to the Canadian border, where they really rely on heating oil for uh, sort of a diesel distillate for heat Um, People can't afford it. They can't afford it. They can't afford to buy the food. They can't afford to buy the energy. And they can't afford even the the housing costs. Uh, When you look at our inflation rate, uh, just as an economist, um, look at the cold numbers. It is so underestimated by the federal government. If you look at the average household spending pattern on the necessities of life, which you could define as food, energy, and housing, We're running at about a 25 to 30% annual rate of inflation. It's just literally, it is literally killing people. And I I was reading this morning that in England, with their similar type of policies, uh, they're now going back to burning wood and coal, and they're creating air pollution that was as bad as it was during the Victorian era, because people don't like, they don't like to die of cold. (laughs) (laughs) And in uh, Germany and Switzerland, they're cutting down the forests. To, to just get some fuel. It, it's, wow. it's, uh, Mary Jean, you, you've been studying, I, I think, the, the energy sector for a while now, and you realize how preposterous it is, preposterous it is to do these two things. Number one, uh, shut down hydrocarbon um, energy, which is the cheapest, mm-hmm. most environmentally friendly, most widely available, driver of all of our economies for the last hundred and something years and try to replace it with something that won't work because it cannot work
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, we could get into the green technology myths if you wish but uh
1: well yeah it's interesting that apparently coal to a large extent saved england's forests because before coal they were they were literally denuding the whole the whole island of england uh, for trees, because, of, you know, they needed it for fuel, they needed it for building ships and everything else. So I mean, the f- this is something most people just don't get. Fossil fuels are far less environmentally damaging than putting up, you know, thousands of 60 story high wind turbines. I mean, you know, I, I think that the whole idea of calling it green energy, I mean, that's wrong, isn't it, Paul?
3: Oh, absolutely. It, it is filthy. Uh, all you have to do is just go visit a lithium mine somewhere in South Africa, or perhaps know, I'm not sure where else in China or other places, and see what they're doing to the environment in order to create the inputs for these so-called green technologies, everything from wind turbines to solar panels. Uh, so the next time you see somebody dri- driving their uh, coal-fired Tesla, oh, yeah. thinking great. that they're saving the planet, you got to wonder.
1: Right. And, and, you know, I'll put under the podcast when it goes up online on Monday, a link to a two minute segment of that film by Michael Moore, Planet of the Humans. And, you know, it's funny because he's a very left wing producer and has done a lot of things that the left just, you know, jumped up and down and cheered about but they didn't cheer about this because he showed the real environmental impacts of wind and solar power i came out of that video actually thinking man this is the dirtiest energy on the planet i mean was he exaggerating
3: (laughs) it's more expensive it's worse for the environment so therefore let's do it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and let's let's put the guns of government in charge of making it happen
1: yeah Well, this question might be a little academic considering there's a lot of similarities with the lockdowns. I mean, the question then arises, why do you think that these policies pushing us away from inexpensive, environmentally friendly fossil fuels, why is it happening in the United States?
3: Uh, I would just just urge people to think about this, that um, cold and hungry people are much easier to control.
1: Oh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. So it's, again, a control issue.
3: and That's the left, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it also strikes me that if you're reliant on energy sources like wind and solar that require massive government subsidies, doesn't that effectively put the government in charge of your energy infrastructure? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, coal, coal, they basically are a a good, solid, free enterprise endeavor, isn't it?
3: It used to be. But Biden, uh, President Biden's on record as saying he's going to totally eliminate it. And uh, as well as all hydrocarbon, as well as carbon energy. And I think one of the bills they passed nationally in the so-called Infrastructure Act included some some language that uh, any car manufactured in the United States. And that would probably include Canada as well, because you produce a lot of our cars after the year 2025, will have electronic technology in it that will include a government-controlled kill switch. Oh, wow. So What's they, they switch? think you've driven too far, too long, or too fast wow. to shut you off. Wow. And that'll go along with a digital currency. They can cut off your, your access to purchasing food or you know, even earning an income. And you yeah. saw what happened in Canada when they just went in and just stole money from bank accounts.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's funny because just as an aside topic, um, I have a lump of coal in my hand right now (laughs) uh, from from eastern Kentucky. I went there to give a presentation to the Pikeville Chamber of Commerce quite a few years ago. And they took me on a tour of uh, strip mining areas that were reclaimed. They actually returned it to nature. And I'll tell you, we went from the natural area to the reclaimed area and the circumstances improved. I mean, there were more There was more wildlife. Uh, And and I've heard people say that the whole attack on coal is largely unjustified. Now, do you think that's an exaggeration?
3: No, it's not an exaggeration at all. It's unjustified economically. It's unjustified environmentally. Again, you have to look. There must be some higher purpose to that policy if you can't justify it economically or environmentally.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it sounds like the politicians are doing it largely because the pushback Back against, you know, from the environmentalists, but that the people driving that pushback, they have the ulterior motive of control.
3: Yeah, a lot of them do. And as I said earlier, a lot of them are just useful idiots who are too ignorant or stupid. And so they just go along with it.
1: Yeah, right. Over to you, Mary Jean.
2: Yeah, for sure. So now that we've talked about sort of like why they're doing it, um, how has the National Environmental Protection Act been used to hinder the energy sector growth?
3: uh the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency that was instituted under Republican govern, governor, government under President uh, Nixon actually, um, has done so much damage to the environment it's almost incalculable the the uh, regulations, the the... The permitting process is so slow that I think it's been 25 years since we even allowed a permit for a new um, refining facility to be built for hydrocarbon energy. And it's all due to environmental constraints, environmental protection agency rules. And this is an extra legal organization in that it is part of what we call the administrative state. It's not actually run by laws but that the people control in a republic or democratic republic, it's it's run by these administrative uh, um, regulations that they put into place, and they have their own court system in which you are guilty until proven innocent. It completely turns around the basis of, of a freedom-based society.
1: So is this what they refer to as the deep state?
3: Oh yeah, deep and, deep and wide.
2: <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find that there's any environmental groups that are actually sensible in these policies and that about these policies and realize that the renewable energy is actually doing more harm for the environment?
3: Well, there are some environmentalists. I don't know if there's organizations that, 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 uh, understand things the way we do, but there's some environmentalists such as uh, Bjorn Lomberg, I believe, uh, formerly yeah. the, one of the radical, radical uh, environmental groups who has come out with very rational analysis of what's going on and why it's going on Mm -hmm. and and he understands that that everything they're doing is destructive
1: yeah and Schellenberg too he's come out very sensibly
3: yeah so there are individual environmentalists who are very righteous and and have their heads on 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 straight i don't know about any organizations that are that way there might be there probably are mary Jean. (laughs) well
1: it's interesting that Patrick, Patrick patrick moore was one of the founders of greenpeace and he's now on the ICSC Canada board. He's now on our side. He said one day he came into a meeting around 1990. uh, And he said he looked around the business, you know, around the board table, because he was a member of their board too. uh, And he said he was the only one who was not a Marxist. So, I mean, have the Marxists actually taken over the environmental movement in general? Apparently they have with Greenpeace.
3: Yep. It's the left, the left and the left. Oh, wow. And I think Bjorn Lombard comes out of that same background
1: uh-huh i think one of them
3: me. the gentleman you cited or, or bjorn i think uh has quoted when they've been in these meetings and they they have um they have told the people that what they're spreading around is, is not true it's actually a bunch of lies and yeah. the response was well of course it is but that's how we have to get our way yeah so the yeah, means exactly. justify the so, yeah it goes right back to karl marx
1: well, and also, um, Patrick Moore, and I'll put a link to his book, he called, a book that he wrote, it was called Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, you know, which, of course, I imagine infuriated Greenpeace. But, um, yeah, Patrick Moore is a pretty brave guy. These characters who actually go against their previous allies, I mean, we got to really support them because, you know, they're, they're brave people. But, um, you know, one question I asked Paul, of all my guests who, who actually, uh, you know, are standing up against this woke insanity with respect to climate and everything, is how is it for them personally? I know some of the scientists, Dr. Tim Ball, who unfortunately passed away earlier last year. Um, he got five death threats, you know, really serious ones where they're involving the police and all sorts of things. Have you been harassed at all for your point of view?
3: Um, I have been. Um, let's see politely excused from several universities and university events for speaking wow. what i call economic truth and what they think is they get blasphemous against their marxist ideology yeah so yeah I, i've i've had that but no i've not been um yet approached by any any authorities with handcuffs and guns in my face but i wouldn't be surprised
1: <laughs> yeah that's right well you know it's interesting one of the scientists in the united states was telling me he had a uh, he was working for um Let's see, it's a NASA office, actually. And there was a climate protest near his office. And there were a couple of bullet holes put through his window. So, yeah, there's a violent element, that's for sure, to the left. I mean, we're always told they're interested in peace and goodwill. Uh, Not if you disagree with them. (laughs) I'll just just tell you a funny story. I went to a presentation at uh, one of our local museums here in Ottawa, because we're the capital city, so we have most of the museums. And um, it was about the end of snow in Canada. It was being put on by Ecology Ottawa. And I called Ecology Ottawa ahead of time. And I said, would you bring in a scientist to talk about what the actual data shows about snow in North America? Oh no, they wouldn't do that. So They brought brought in their top champion skiers and they were all on stage kind of lamenting, oh, horrible it would be if there was no snow, you know, there'd be no skiing. And I went to the microphone, about 500 people, I guess I was a little scared, but I went to the mic and I said, to the skiers. I said, how do you feel about the fact that the organizers of this event refused to bring in scientists who would tell you that snow cover has been increasing over North America for decades? And oh, the audience went berserk. One woman (laughs) in the front row, she stood up and she shook her fist at me and she said, go home, you know, and And I said, Well, look, check it yourself. It's on the National Snow and Ice Data Center. You know, the snow cover has been increasing. And, you know, it's funny because we went, I went with an Arabic friend of mine and his son who had just come here from Egypt. And he said to me afterwards, the son, he said, I thought Canada was like a democracy. They want to shut you up. I mean, that's happening in the US too, isn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, one of the foundations of our. Of our liberty is free speech. In fact, that's the first of our ten Bill of Rights. <laughs> yeah. Is free speech because it's the foundation of of, uh, of Western civilization. If you can't if you can't speak truth, you can't think truth, and if you can't think truth, you can't act truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so it begins with with speech, and so that's yeah. why they've been so adamant. Uh, so let me say something you mentioned earlier: the violence of sort of the the left wing woke mob. Uh, is something to fear. Um, I fear much more the left-wing government mob because they have the legal authority to use deadly force.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mary Jean, is this like something out of 1984 when you talk about speech and freedom and all that sort of thing? Because you, you, you read that book some time ago, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's the exact same thing. The people are just uh, kind of, sort of swept up with this whole left-wing ideology and they don't really think for themselves much anymore but mm-hmm. just based on what they hear in the media what they hear from even at schools uh, and it's really unfortunate because kids are now being brought up with schools uh teaching them uh these things they are even teaching them to be like activists for all these causes rather than getting them to try to think for themselves and to think things through really mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. when you were George
3: Orwell actually he wrote that as a warning 1984 but it's being used as a playbook (laughs) it's it's being used as a blueprint he didn't mean it to be that way
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly he was on he was on the side of freedom (laughs) (laughs) yeah Mary Jean when you were in school I mean did they teach the two sides of the climate debate for example in your high school biology class
2: no (laughs) definitely not Um, I mean it it, back then it wasn't like as propagandized as it is now I don't think but uh, for example in geography class we watched Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth and uh, we didn't learn anything about the other side of the story at all.
1: Huh? Yeah that's crazy. <laughs> eh? <clears throat> Jeez. So yeah Mary Jean you had a question about how introdu- how green energy is being introduced into the energy sector why don't you take that away?
2: Yeah, so how would introducing uh, more wind, solar power, and other renewable energy, well, so-called renewable energy, uh, affect the energy sector? So how would this affect uh, how people live as well as just the society in general?
3: Yeah, it's not just the introduction of it, it's the combination of shutting down the very efficient, very cheap, very clean hydrocarbon economy and trying to replace it with this green energy economy. And so if your question is how will that affect the energy sector, we can see already it's terrible. I mean, there's people dead in the state of Texas from having wind, depending on wind farms that didn't work during ice storms.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the Wall Street Journal said 700 people died in the in the Texas uh, blackout in February 2021. And yet it wasn't even really that cold in comparison with Ottawa. It's cold by Texas standards. So, I mean, Jay Lair, who was my previous co-host on this show, I mean, he was a wonderful man, but he passed away, unfortunately, earlier in January. But he used to say that we have to have the situation that occurred in Texas happened over and over and over and over across the United States before people wake up. I mean, was he being pessimistic, or do you think it's necessary for this to happen, sadly?
3: Uh, that's a good question. I, I think perhaps he's right, that that people have to feel a lot of pain, and I mean a lot, before they will change their view on the world, their perspective, and then their behavior and action. Uh, we've seen this through all this discussion of the lockdown and the vaccinations of, of the energy sector, that people simply will go along until it gets to be too painful not to. And we're not at that point yet, but we're getting closer.
1: <laughs> well, surely by that time, it, you know, with the with uh, coal stations and, and, and oil use reduced, you know, they'll have a hard, it'll take years to build it back up. I mean, this isn't something they'll turn around on a dime once they've ruined the energy infrastructure, do they?
3: You know, Tommy, you bring up something that's very insightful, that, that these, these people actually think the economy is a machine that they can turn on and turn off and then turn on again. <laughs> that's what the, lock, the lockdown, they believed they could do that. And then we see that you can't do that because the economy is human beings interacting and trying to better our lives. And that's how a market economy works. There's only two choices: either we have a free market economy or we have government control. And mm-hmm. you know, free markets have proven over centuries to be a better way of doing it, and government control has always proven to be a disaster. And yet we keep trying it. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. mystery.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Here's here's a scenario. Let's say this continues without change. Uh, I hope it does change, but let's. Say it does. And we get five more years of advancing down this very dangerous energy route, becoming more and more reliant on wind and solar, closing down our coal stations, all that sort of thing. And finally, the politicians recognize that the people are unhappy. Surely, it would, as I say, I think it would take years to get us back, wouldn't it?
3: Well, uh, you would you would think that, except that I have learned in my decades of, of observing the economy and politics that. A little bit of freedom goes a long way, and that mm-hmm. even though you, it, it would take like decades for the permitting process and everything else, all of that can be speeded up if people want it badly enough. And if they're mm-hmm. cold and hungry enough, they will want it bad enough. But the problem is more likely they will just turn to more government. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I had a Scottish professor of thermodynamics in, in engineering school. And whenever people would bring up, oh, you know, we should have wind and solar power, look at all these people that are pushing for it. And he would say with his Scottish accent, he said, they'll change their mind when they're freezing in the dark.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, and i never forget that. Uh, professor Saravanamuto, he's an Indian actually, but he grew up in Scotland. And um, it was just an obvious statement like, no, <laughs> the, hier- the hierarchy of needs kind of put, you know, heat and warmth and food, a little above being woke. <laughs>
3: yeah, Freezing and yeah. starving. So it's yeah. it's a very interesting interesting time to be alive, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Over to you, Mary Jean.
2: Yeah, for sure. So to conclude about energy, what do you think uh, needs to be done for the U.S. to improve its energy situation? Well,
3: it wasn't that long ago, just two or three short years ago that we were completely not only energy independent, but then exporting to the rest of the world. We had plenty of energy, clean, safe and cheap. So how did we get that? We got it through deregulation and lower taxes and just getting out of the way and allowing the people that produce energy to do what they do best, which is produce energy
1: yeah so so you're saying like in there's a huge contrast and this is sort of an obvious question but can you talk about the contrast between trump and biden with respect to energy
3: well sure (laughs) Uh, yeah president trump will uh recognize that that we are sitting on a wealth of hydrocarbon energy and potential, but it was being squashed through taxes and regulation. And he simply removed a lot of those regulations and cut those corporate taxes and allowed for more uh, um, write-offs of investment projects, that kind of thing. And, and within a year, the energy sector was booming. Within two years, we we're energy independent.
1: Oh, geez. Well, it's sort of, do you think Trump has a chance of coming back
3: in? Oh, Yes. Oh, yeah,
1: because then he wouldn't be worried about getting reelected because I understand like our prime minister can stay in forever, but you only have two terms allowed. Is that right?
3: Yes. And and you're correct. He he wouldn't have to worry about becoming what you call a lame duck, Mm -hmm. Um, but he would he would um, more than that, he will have used his experience, his learning experience in his first term. Uh, to avoid some of the mistakes he made with personnel, and personnel as policy, uh, with respect to hiring bureaucrats and having too many deep state people surrounding him. I think he's become a lot more, if he gets reelected, which I think he will, he'll, he'll be a lot better at managing the snakes in the snake pit.
1: Right, right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, those snakes in the in the deep state, uh, Will Happer, who was a professor, at, he's a professor emeritus at Princeton University in physics, he was actually working in the Trump administration for about a year as Trump's science advisor, and he tried to get the US fully out, not just leaving the Paris Agreement, but get them fully out of the UN framework convention on climate change and the other climate stuff, And he said the deep state were just too powerful. But you're saying if Trump comes back in, he can actually do more than he did the first time.
3: I believe so. I believe he'll be in a stronger position. And as you say, he won't have to worry so much about reelecting. And he will have learned a lot of very hard lessons about Mm -hmm. who he should trust and not trust.
1: Yeah, yeah. And with uh, Musk actually liberating twitter
3: (laughs) free the bird
1: (laughs) yeah so you think that's going to have a good positive impact
3: oh i i think so absolutely it's already it's already showing it's not enough in my opinion but it's certainly a step in the right direction and there's a lot of alternative platforms that have been developed as well
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah truth social i guess is is trump's platform right
3: yep that's one another one called getter g-e-t-t-r there's two or three others
1: Okay, I'll, I'll write that down, G-E-T-T-R. So it's interesting, we're actually ending our interview on a pretty optimistic note. We're seeing the potential of Trump getting back in and fixing a lot of these things. We're seeing young people actually supporting Tom McDonald and recognizing that a lot of this stuff is, is terrible for the future of the economy and the, and the society and freedom and everything else. Uh, so generally speaking, do you feel optimistic about the future when you look ahead?
3: Um, yes, I am. And, and, and it's, it's two things. It, it's, it's the reawakening that I'm seeing uh, in our churches here with respect to the idea of our original creator-endowed liberties. Uh, there's more and more churches are now standing up and speaking out. Um, and then, as you mentioned, uh, and Mary Beth is part of uh, a younger generation who is somehow, yeah. even though you were miseducated, you were educated enough to be able to see through what's going on and, and make logical conclusions of your own. So, you know, we have a lot of kids and grandkids and they all, they all understand what's happening
1: yeah yeah so this is great (laughs) it was really fun and also I love ending on the positive note you know Jay always had a super positive attitude because he felt yeah we can fix the world and we will so (laughs) this podcast I hope people can share it around because yeah don't don't uh, just kind of resign to the woke you can stand up against it you know so I mean that's something so Mary Jean thanks for being my co-host
2: yeah well thank you for having me it's very uh, interesting to learn about
1: yeah we'll bring you back again that's for sure and Dr. Paul Prentice thank you so much for being our guest
3: well I enjoyed our conversation thanks for having me on Tom and Mary Jean nice speaking with you as well
1: yeah that's great thanks so, much. so this is Tom Harrison, co-host Mary Jean Harris and also Dr. Paul Prentice our guest we're signing out from the other side of the story